Hi, this is Bethany, your host of the Random Yogi Podcast, a weekly podcast about holistic living and physical, emotional, and spiritual healing, and of course, plenty of yoga and Ayurveda. We offer bonus episodes each month featuring yoga flows that you can do at home, as well as guided meditations. Thanks for joining us. Logan, I'm so excited to have you on the Random Yogi Podcast. I have loved your TikTok content and I want listeners to know all about you because I think your presence is so healing. So just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, My name is Logan on TikTok. You can find me under Crooked Counselor Cooper. I am a trauma survivor turned trauma therapist is the way that I usually try to sum it up for people. I have my own private practice and I specialize primarily in treating trauma and helping people, specifically adult women, work on self-love, self-worth. And then I also have a family of my own. I'm married. I have two small children. I like to bake and cook. I like rap music. (laughs) <laughs> your your videos where you're singing to rap music are hilarious and you know what we're going to come back to getting to know you because you just had a controversy recently I saw on um, TikTok where honestly I saw the video that you took down I really didn't think it was offensive but apparently others did can you tell us about that Sure, sure. So I, and obviously this is a super loaded topic, so I never presume to, um, I never presume to be able to understand other people's perspective on perspectives on it. I'm only able to have my own. And obviously I have a privileged perspective. Like, I don't think that it's a bad thing to own your privilege. I think it's the right thing to do to own your privilege. So I do love rap music and I do love Lil Wayne specifically And some of the language that these rappers use can be problematic when repeated by other people. And that is totally understandable to me. I appreciate hip hop and rap music specifically because it has always been the form of music that is able to connect to my anger, like when I've needed to process Mm -hmm. it in a healthy way. And also specifically Lil Wayne, I find to be a very good role model as far as confidence goes, because he is so sure of himself and he is so brilliantly talented that that originally, and and some people may not connect to that, but for me, originally the reason why why I get so lost in his lyrics is because he is just so clearly comfortable with himself. And, and I love that in any arena, but yes, specifically, um, I had posted a song which included a slur and I can understand why people would find that offensive coming from me or coming from anyone else. And that was not my intention for posting the the video. I was posting the video because somebody posted a video asking for a lyrical challenge. And I do know all the lyrics to a lot of Lil Wayne's songs. So I was like, woo. Um, But it ended up upsetting people. And so I have expressed and I will continue to express that I feel like it is my job with regards to conversations about race, any emotionally loaded, historically horrific topic. It is my job to be open to dialogue because I find that what happens most is that people get defensive and then we don't get anywhere. So I, as I get older and heal more and more and more comfortable with taking accountability, that even if your intentions are good, sometimes your actions are harmful. And and I am, I think that's on me and on everybody else to own that, no mm-hmm. matter what the circumstances are. Well, and it, it all comes down because I also live in a privileged body and it's 
it all comes down to when we know better, we do better. Yes. And I thought the way you owned it was so beautiful. You were completely non-defensive. And, and just so listeners know what happened in that video, apparently, um, Logan's always really good about blanking her face out when there is a slur and a music that she's lip syncing to. And that day she smiled. I think you just smiled accidentally at the wrong moment. Right. And it was misread by a lot of viewers. And so she took it down. She issued an apology. And, and really, I'm glad that you did because I did, I saw it, but it didn't register with me. Like, Oh, and not that I do a lot of lip syncing to rap music on my page, but still now because of you, I know better so I can do better. Right. Precisely. And, and I, I, I'm telling you, and again, this speaks to not necessarily intentional ignorance, but to me, it was truly that I didn't even connect in the moment from a place of my own privilege, how that could read as offensive. And, and again, even though that wasn't my intention, it is fully on me to take responsibility for that because the only way that we are going to make progress with any topic at all is to open up conversation and to remind people the most that we can, that we can have dialogue and that we can, despite whatever differences we may have, we can at least try to be on the same we can at least try to connect. I think that as as humans, we want to categorize people, right? We want to make sense of things. We want to compartmentalize information. And I think that sometimes that leads us to assumptions, which can be very damaging and very stigmatizing. Every one of us do it. It is a human behavior. And the only thing that you can do is be conscious of it And when you are told by somebody else that something that you have done has hurt them, even though it can be very hard, you have to try to be open to hearing them instead of just getting immediately activated and defensive because that shuts the whole thing down and then there's no growth. Well, and I wonder when you describe it that way, if it's not part of your trauma survivor turned trauma therapist that also sees that because I know in the conversation going on online about toxic families and toxic relationships, that seems to be where the barrier finally hits and no contact has to happen because people don't take accountability. And so you modeled that so beautifully for us. So here's, here's the thing on that, on that note. Yes. I think that you are right on the money. And my personal theory as somebody who has done a lot of work about shame is that when people are told that they have done something wrong, that they have committed a wrong action. If you have a substantial amount of shame, you are not going to hear you made this decision. Your action hurt me. You are going to hear through the scope of shame you are a bad person, your intentions were bad, you messed up again, it leads into this narrative that so many people have that's uh, connected to their own shame. And I don't think anything activates defensiveness like shame. Mm, That is such a good point. Such a great insight. So you're always going to be reactive, at least in my experience, as somebody who has been reactive most of her life, you are always going to be reactive if every time somebody tells you that you have maybe done something wrong or maybe you you misunderstood the assignment, you know, like any kind of fault, you are always going to get activated and defensive if what you hear in those moments is, I'm a bad person something is wrong with me. I'm never going to fit in. Like all of these attachments that people have, it just shields you. It makes you, you suit up. Wow. 
So how can people start to heal that shame that causes that reaction? Oh gosh, I wish there was a, I wish there was a not yucky way for a lack of a better word. I wish there was a unyucky way to process shame. But the term that I use most often with clients is that healing your shame is like being in the middle of the swamp and it's heavy and it's sticky and you some sometimes there's ground underneath underneath you and sometimes there's not and you're just like you can see what's behind you and all of that is what got you into the shame swamp in the first place so you know you don't want to go back there even though it's super easy to go back there because it's familiar ground you know that ground you're in this sticky mucky dark murky unfamiliar swamp and you're in the middle and maybe you can see the land ahead of you on the other side but maybe you can't and You have to trust that, yes, the yuck that you feel inside you and all around you is very real, but that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you as a person, and it doesn't mean you can't heal it, but you have to be willing to examine the ugly. You have to be willing to address anything, in my opinion, even if it's just with yourself or with a super trusted loved one. You have to be willing to address anything that you fear somebody could possibly use against you is what you need to heal. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It amazes me. You are still just in your thirties and you're so freaking wise. How did you get that way? Because I had a lot of trauma at a young age. (laughs) (laughs) I, I honestly like... I remember being told as a little girl that I was wise beyond my years, but I think people just thought that because I engaged in conversation a lot. My mother um, was was a teacher, language, reading, writing, those were huge for her. She modeled that very well. So it was important to her that we were well-spoken. So I would engage in conversation with people. And she used to tell me that at the supermarket, I would ask people very blunt questions as a little girl. Like I would just be like, why that? You know, or like make an observation, not from a place of offense, from a place of curiosity. So I think I've always had a natural curiosity about people and about human behavior. So I was always asking the questions and some of the questions and some of the lessons that I had to learn as a result of of trauma experience, I had to learn the really hard way. But I have had, in my opinion, using that privilege again, I have had the privileged experience to not only be able to be educated in education and higher education and get my degree, which is a gift that I will never take for granted, but I have also, through my life experiences, been around a very broad variety of people. Some people very dangerous, some people very unpredictable, and you learn a lot. And hypervigilance being such a part of trauma survival, I notice a lot of details and my brain can really sponge them in. So I've studied human behavior, both as a trauma survivor and now as a trauma therapist. And it's like, it's almost like auto-programming. Well, you are wise beyond your years. I love it. (laughs) One of the reasons that I really connected with you first and started following you on TikTok was I had seen a video where you talked about a street pharmacist. And I love the way, because I'm a lawyer by day, yoga instructor by night. And I love the way you use words like that because I'm a criminal defense attorney. And I never thought to call my clients street pharmacists, but that's what they are. So can you tell us a little bit about your trauma without, I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but just show us who you are and how you became who you are. 
Sure. Um, and it's so funny because um, my connection to rap music originally came from dating street pharmacists who, if you use the other term dealers, TikTok would actually take the content down. That's how I learned that. Um, oh. But, yeah, so I love the term street pharmacist, but I was calling it what, what it was. And it would get taken down because people thought that I was promoting that kind of lifestyle, which I'm not. I'm just being honest about it. So um, I, you know, pretty classic case of daddy issues which leads to, or at least led for me to low self-worth and really needing to find my affirmation in other male figures in my life who were emotionally unavailable because that's what I was familiar with was emotionally unavailable men um, who made me prove my worth and, and be pleasing. So I, and I was, I was um, more familiar with the idea of chaos. So I wasn't interested in the nice guys at all, you know? And I remember telling my mom flat out, nice guys are boring I have no desire to be with a nice guy like literally it was a running joke still is with some of my girlfriends that the more psychotic a man looked I was like yeah like I love so I would gravitate towards them and it's fun like would I go back and relive those years no but did I have a lot of fun yes so I dated not so great men uh, for many of my formative years. And I learned a lot and I suffered a lot. I don't necessarily take it back because I do think that it's part of what's made me who I am. I do think it also allows me to be less of a judgmental asshole for people having to survive the way that they survive. Um, obviously, I pray that my own daughter does not end up in those situations, but I get the appeal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So at what point did you, were you able to begin healing your trauma? Because now you're married to a wonderful man and yeah. you have a nice family. Yes. I was forced um, at least into a healing setting because I struggled with both um, bulimia and anorexia starting, probably starting around age 13, but it really went full throttle around 15, 16, which was also the height of being in relationships with men like that. So, and I was doing a lot of drugs. So my body was just uh, in a constant state of frenzy. But so I actually got um, put into inpatient treatment for an eating disorder because my doctor who I was forced to go get a physical, my doctor flat out told me, you have two choices. You're either going to continue on the path that you're going and you will die, or you are going to get better. So I was at the time did not feel fortunate, but now I can see very fortunate to have the opportunity to go into treatment where there wasn't an escape. Although I tried, um, and that's where I had one of, one of the good therapists that I've had who was one of the first times because I was scared. And at that point in my life, fear just um, manifested in anger and defensiveness. I was not an easy patient. She was very gentle. She was very calm. She was very respectful of my process. And she, she kind of through very uh, crafty, I would say, um, techniques allowed me to open up. And she was also one of the first people that made me feel like I wasn't the problem and addressed like the concept of the family system and addressed the idea of having a relationship with your body that it's not about the weight. It's not about like, it was a whole, like, I was like, pew, pow, pow, pow. It was insane. Wow. So wow. that was the beginning. And then I've been in therapy literally on and off my entire life. So if you were dating street pharmacists when you were 15, how did your parents react to that? 
Well, they hated it when they found out about it. But for the most part, I just lied a lot. I hid it as much as I could. I was the one who was, I was, I'm going to Jessica's house. I was never at Jessica's house. Like I would just <laughs> lie. I would lie and sneak around. There's no way as, as understanding as parents want to be, nobody is going to say yes date the guy with the prison tattoos like no parents are probably going to encourage that you know so and my parents were old school so I lied a lot and then when I got caught I would get punished or forbidden and then I would lie more and hide more and keep it going until it, the relationships finally got so bad that I think I had to be done oh wow are you an only child and if that's too personal that's fine no that's okay I'm not an only child I have an older brother Nice. Okay. I have a younger sister. So I, uh, you know, I was the one that was dutiful and had to follow the rules and she's the one that would do whatever she wanted. I mean, she was a good girl. She didn't do half the stuff I did, but yeah. So I, I was just trying to figure out if you were the younger sister and I figured you probably were. So um, I, it was an interesting combination for me. And this is something that people, even my own therapist once told me, like, it's an interesting dichotomy. So I was running the roads, like with a lot of really dangerous people, but I also always knew that I wanted to have a future. So I, to the best of my abilities, there was a couple of points where it got a little, um, inky, but to the best of my abilities, I always knew that I still wanted to be educated and have a future. So I was doing all of these wild things. Like I was acting out, but I also still had enough of a head on my shoulders where I was like, I, I want to go to college. I got into one college and it was on an academic potential program. I got into college by the skin of my teeth because my grades were just good enough. And then when I got to college, I said, you need to cut the shit You've already been there, done that with all of this stuff that these college freshmen are just trying for the first time. Now it matters. You need to focus. So I got super good grades in college, got into good grad schools. So like it was both. So neither my sibling nor I were the good kid, but I was a kid who always did want to have an education. Oh, nice. Okay. So you've spoken on, um, and actually yesterday you did before the yesterday being the day before we're recording this, um, you did a really poignant video about how hard it is to parent without parents. And you've spoken on TikTok about your mother, um, taking her life. What happened? Why did she do that? And how old were you? Uh, so my mom took her life 10 years ago. So I was, um, wait, how old am I? That is so I was, I was in my twenties. I think I'm 36 now. I think I just had my 36th birthday. So it was 10 years ago. That feels crazy to me. Oh my gosh. Time is weird. Uh, so it was, a, it was a decade ago. I know that it'll be 11 years this September. It was obviously, it was, it was the worst day of my life. You know, getting that phone call, phone calls like that change you as a person for the rest of your life. I was very close to my mother. We had a complicated relationship because she did struggle so much with her own mental health. And I think that she came from a generation that didn't provide any kind of education or any kind of awareness. She was pressured to be the good kid in her family of origin. So I think she suffered in silence for most of her life. That's my theory. It would be an interesting conversation to have with her, obviously. But I'll never, I'll, I'll never be able to. So I think she struggled in silence a lot with depression and isolation. And obviously that impacted me growing up as a young woman. And then 
you can imagine, or or maybe you can't, but it's it's imaginable how hard it was as somebody who was close to her mother and a therapist to not see that coming. I didn't see it coming, like truly. So that was, I, I lost her to suicide, unfortunately. And then that just brought on a whole wave, you know, of healing and grief that I was in no way prepared for. And then unfortunately, my father, who's a different type of situation, we are just not able to be in a safe space emotionally. We're not able to have a, in my opinion, a healthy relationship that will allow both of us to grow and break patterns of generational trauma. So for me, I had to make the choice to go no contact with my father after losing my mother, which makes you feel very much like an orphan. And that has been very complicated. Now, was your mom still alive when you had your first child or did she die before that? Yeah, she died when I was, I had, I had just graduated grad school. It's it, the timeline is blurry at this point. I know I had graduated grad school because she was at my grad school graduation, but no, I had, I had not met my, well, I had met my husband, but we reconnected eventually. Um, so I hadn't gotten married. I hadn't, I hadn't had kids yet. I still very much needed my mom. I still need my mom. But at that point, I remember feeling like I've never felt more childlike than in the wake of losing my mother. It, it just made me want a tantrum. It made me feel like a toddler. I can understand that. And I thought your video was so poignant because a lot of times on TikTok, because I'm a childless woman, but I, I see people talking about how it's challenging to parent because you're also parenting your inner child at the same time, but it's also healing to parent because you're parenting your inner child. But when you posted how hard it is to parent without parents, all I could think was just, you have no support. Like my sister has four kids. She can call me and say, I need you to come and I am there. But mm -hmm. you don't have anyone to do that for you. Is that the only challenge or are there other challenges? So we are, again, very fortunate in that we have, because my husband has has lost both of his parents as well. So we are very much like we're we're all we got, you know, in that way, like we we which has helped us deepen as a couple emotionally, to be honest. But we are very fortunate in that we have been courageous enough to cultivate a chosen family, which I think takes a lot of strength after you have felt isolated or exiled by your blood family, you know, because there is such pressure in society that blood is thicker than water, you know, like in it. And of course, as a child, when you don't feel a sense of belonging in your family, you assume that something's wrong with you. So there's a lot of baggage to address when you have made the decision to not be in contact with your blood related family, but you know, you can't do it alone in life. Like it just makes it so much harder. So you have to be brave enough to cultivate a village of chosen family. And for us, that has been life-saving. We have very close friends that I don't care what the title is. Like they feel like family is supposed to feel in my opinion. So it's not that we don't have anyone. It's just that there are different rules that apply that you would be able to just call your mom, you know, versus calling someone else. It's just a different nature of a relationship. But so my husband and I have learned to really lean into our marriage, lean into our friendships, lean into making sure that we're establishing healthy emotional intimacy with our children. We really make an active effort to have and maintain a healthy village. Mm. Sounds and like it's you have, 
Yeah. It sounds like you have to live with a lot of intention in your life. Yeah. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> it can be. It's, it's obviously rewarding or else I wouldn't do it, but I've lived chapters of my life where I didn't live intentionally and I just kind of lived very reactively and I never felt a sense of inner stability. And I think that that can make people make a lot of really destructive decisions. Mm-hmm. I once heard someone say, and this was years ago, that you will never create a legacy accidentally. You're only going to create a legacy intentionally. And that really, I think I heard that in my twenties and that really spoke to me. And even though I don't have a family, I, I luckily have done what you do. And I have a lot of very close friends that I can pour into. Um, so what led you to TikTok? So I had my son literally right before the world shut down the first time. So I was at home. I was going to be on maternity leave anyway. So to be honest, the beginning of the pandemic worked out well for me in the sense that I was going to be at home anyway because I had a newborn. And then this was literally right at the beginning of where nobody understood what COVID was. So I was like, oh, my God, you know, like I wasn't going anywhere with my newborn. So I was literally at home all the time with a newborn. And I heard about TikTok from people. I don't remember who I initially heard about it from, but I heard about it. And when I had heard about it, it was more so people doing the dances, you know, and like lip syncing. And so I initially joined it for um, entertainment purposes, you know, to have something to do while I was nursing at 2 a.m., you know, or like pumping. So I would start there and then I I joined TikTok and started making content more from a humorous perspective while still incorporating like therapy things. And then as I've as I've gotten more involved in it, it's become more purposeful and educational. Yeah. Um, everybody told me also at the pandemic, you should check out TikTok. And I got on it and all this dancing stuff, I was like, whatevs. And now I am so addicted because people like you just catch my attention and then I'll end up binge watching, you know, different creators. I've had to put parental controls on my phone at this point. Same. Yeah, no, I'll stay up all night. Like just, and obviously that's how it's designed. They yes. TikTok doing it's designed to hook your brain in and then three hours has gone by. And did you hear that TikTok is now almost uh bigger? It's competing with Google as the biggest search platform on the internet like people are going to tiktok to search stuff i think that google should be shook i think that tiktok is the new sheriff in town and i think it's interesting and the same thing obviously happens with a lot of different forms of social media is people are so quick to judge any form of social media because it is social media as opposed to like a book or like a philosophical lecture but what i have found to be wonderful about tiktok although every form of social media has its down and dangerous side i have found that For people who do feel alone in the world, it is such an accessible way to remind them that they're not. And you can find people on the app by searching, you know, like generational trauma, searching no contact, searching like I'm a trauma survivor, I'm an abuse survivor. And it allows you to maybe just take your time approaching these subjects where you can maybe start just by looking at a video about the content. And then maybe if you feel brave enough, liking the content and then maybe commenting and then who knows if you create your own, like it allows people to address these issues at their own pace, still with the anonymity that they can choose. And I think that that can be really healthy. 
Yeah. And you, uh, the cursing counselor and I have started a series on Sunday nights on live. And that's one thing you weren't able to be here last week, but that's one thing, um, that we ended up talking about is that for me, the reason I stayed on TikTok was I was able to start discovering dynamics and things that I needed more education about and not feel alone. And, and really look at narcissistic relationships because I am attracted to narcissistic men like nobody's business. And when I started listening to the other creator stories, I knew number one, what was going on. Finally, I had a word for it. Number two, I knew I wasn't alone. And that alone has helped me break a pattern in a year's time. So I find it very, I think you're right. It's so that we know we're not alone. I think it's amazing. I think that people greatly underestimate the power that can happen even in just a single one other person like making you feel like oh yeah me too like I've been in that trench too or I am in that trench too or I have those thoughts too or I have felt that way as well just one other being and I also think and I know that you can relate to this people can find that with their animals you know I know you recently with your dog um, you can feel that with animals too, I believe. Like they, it's this presence. And I think that it is instrumental in healing to not feel isolated in it. I don't think anyone heals in isolation. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you brought up my dog. That's been very healing to me also because I've posted a lot of videos and content lately about losing, but Good. Taz wasn't just my dog. Taz was my person, you know? Right. And having people witness it and comment and some people were like, I'm there now. I just lost my animal and we could grieve together. It's been so healing to have a community loving me while I lost my person. Good. I think it's so, I think, again, it speaks to the the human brain's ten tendency to compartmentalize and make assumptions about. I think it is so incredibly dismissive for people to presume that a relationship with an animal cannot provide you as much emotionally as a relationship with people. Because I know plenty of people who I would never blame them if they never wanted to meet another person in their life, given what they've been through in life. They have no reason to trust people. For some people, animals are the beings on this planet that they have been able to trust and I think however you get that nourishment is fine as long as everything is consensual and no one's getting hurt <laughs> well you know I actually had to look it up because my dad died six months almost to the day before my dog and so I started googling like why is this dog dying so much harder even and I grieved for my father do not get me wrong but and and it made sense it was talking about how dogs and animals dictate our daily routines in a way that other humans don't unless I mean you're a mom of small kids I'm sure they very much dictate your routines to a large extent because you have to you know make sure they stay alive and stuff yeah, yeah. but I didn't even think about that that of course I miss my dad and it's okay to miss my dog more because daily I was worried about this diabetic dog so anyway. so relating to you on that for two straight weeks, the two weeks following my mother's death, I had a Boston Terrier Chihuahua mix named Lola, um, and I loved her dearly. She had an underbite. She had a bald spot. She had googly eyes. She was loved by me, but not loved by all. And <laughs> for two weeks after my mom died, every day I would, on the way home from work, I would stop and get a bottle of red wine 
and either a pizza or Chinese food. And I would lay in bed in the dark, drinking a bottle of red wine, sharing pizza or Chinese food with my dog. I would take a bite of pizza. I'd give her a bite of pizza. I would take, and she loved it. She was a fatty. So she and I, she was like, yeah. So that dog having to take care of that dog and having to wake up in the morning and take her out and come home to her, that dog is very much what kept me going for those two weeks. If I didn't have something to come home to, I, I don't, I can't even imagine. Mm. So mm -hmm. I, I, I firmly believe that animals save us just as much as we save them. Yes, definitely. So, um, I saw one of your early on when I first found you on TikTok, um, you were saying, I don't just for ethical reasons, I'm not going to take anyone from TikTok on as a uh, client in my therapeutic practice, which I think is very wise. Uh, but that tells me that a lot of people, I mean, so many people see your value. You've got so many followers, you've touched so many lives and helped so many of us heal and not feel alone. So are you going to, what's your plans for the future? Are you can keep doing TikTok. Are you going to do anything else? So I'm, my private practice is that, you know, the bulk of my career right now. So I'm sustaining that I am interested in starting a podcast. So I'm going to speak to you about that and start to build the structure for that. It's right now mostly about time management because small children do take up a lot of time. They're still very dependent. And obviously that needs to be my priority. So it's a matter of time management, but I would like to, I would like to build the podcast. I, I love writing and I do actually have a lot of content that I would like to put into a book of sorts at some point. Um, and I'm also getting involved in collaborations with other people for their podcasts or for online training. And I'm just taking it one thing at a time. Wonderful. Yeah. Good. You need to be out there as much as possible because we need you. I appreciate that. It's it's still for me. And I, I recently did a video about this with the fear of transparency. It's still nerve wracking for me because this is vulnerable information you know i'm not i'm not just sharing a cake recipe you know like this is vulnerable information this is not only my healing process but the healing process of a, a lot of people it's personal so i believe in transparency and i believe in in sharing to make other people feel less alone and to heal yourself but there is also, and I'm sure you can relate to this as a fellow content creator, there is always that piece of imposter syndrome. Like, am I good at this? Am I helping at all? Is what I'm saying even true? There is fear of what people will think, you know, about the information. Are people going to believe you? Are people going to, you know, doubt your intentions? Vulnerability is brave and it's it's hard. And TikTok is a massive platform. So as I, you know, start to share more, that's my intention. But at the same time, it is still very much for me like, oh God, like, like sometimes <laughs> I have to like psych myself up because I'm like, this could go in any direction. Like who knows where this is gonna go or how it's gonna be received. That's the chance you take with exposure. Mm -hmm. And people can be real trolls to put it very nicely about everything. Like they will jump on you for everything. Some people are very determined to completely miss the message that you are putting out there and instead focus on what they don't like about your appearance or focus on that you said something wrong or that they don't like your outfit. Like people are like, I know. And we talked about before uh, that, 
the trolls, it seems, don't actually do videos. Every time I've gotten trolled, I look and they have like two followers and no videos, but they're trolling us who are brave enough to actually put ourselves out there. Well, it's like, you know, and I am a uh, sarcastic feminist, but it very much reminds me of, you know, men who are judging the performances of NFL athletes. And meanwhile, these men can't even touch their toes. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's been healing also, or encouraging, not healing necessarily, to connect with um, you and the Curse and Counselor, because I didn't have any other content creator friends. And so being able, even just our daily text, I so enjoy and look forward sure. to. And then I got trolled recently and Janet saw it and jumped on and was helping in a very kind way, like wait, are you saying this? Like, that doesn't make sense. And the troll finally went away. And I thought, okay, there is power in being friends with other content creators because a troll will not take two of us on. Well, to be honest with you, what I've always found interesting, because I do actively clap back when someone trolls me, is that they will never respond to me after I've clapped back. They will continue maybe having conflict with people in my comments sections, which is fine because it boosts my engagement and views on TikTok anyway. So come on and do it. But I have never had someone continue to come back at me like on the video that I post in response to their trolling. And so it's, it's, People can, with regards to trolls, again, like circling back around to the shame that we were discussing, people can only prescribe as much shame to you as you allow them to do. Oh, wow. You are so wise. I'm, you really I don't do know, need to write a book. Just like deep intimacy with shame. <laughs> it's just like, it's what I've found to be true that it's like the sooner that you can own something or the minute that somebody comes trolling you as, as soon as you can own that information that they're throwing at you, like it's a new concept to you. Like they're telling you something about you that you don't already know, which is very rare. It's like, and like, is, did you have something else to contribute? Because if that's all that you have to say, like you're lacking originality. <laughs> You are so fantastic. I just love you so much. I can't even tell you. Like we need to clone you and have one of you for every 10 Americans because you, everyone needs a friend like you, everyone. That's terrifying to me. The idea of cloning me. I do have a daughter who is literally just like me um, and it is a wild ride, but I am like, I've, I've been told by some of my clients, they're like, you're like a therapist slash bodyguard. Like you're like a therapist slash like hype woman. And I'm like, hell yeah, because I have seen not only at an individual level, but at, at a group level, how much damage is done to this world by people who walk around in it feeling terrible about themselves. And it's just not necessary or productive. So like, I see it as like a mission for me because I want to continue to heal. I see it as a mission for people at an individual level. And I think it can also change the world. Like, the fewer people that we have walking around feeling like they don't deserve to be here, the better off this world is going to be. Mm -hmm. Well, even though I'm a lawyer, I've always had a healing nature. And so I've, for 20 years, been like a holistic lawyer when people come to me for a broken relationship or conflict I want them to leave me at the end better than they came and I've had so many people say 
you're not a normal lawyer. I'm like, I know. Because sometimes they'll walk in, I'm in shorts or, and I have my desk not to where they have to sit across from me. They sit right next to me so we can talk as friends. Um, but I think you're right. If we would all, because you talked about imposter syndrome earlier and it's taken me 20 years of lawyering before I finally realized, oh no, I actually deserve to be a lawyer. It's okay. Because for 20 years, I've had imposter syndrome with that. But I think you're exactly right. If we would treat one another in such a way that we could help heal one another, whether we're therapists, lawyers, whatever, this world would be so much better than it is. I agree. The challenge is, is that for most people, you are only able to show as much compassion for other people as you are to show compassion for yourself. And so many people were raised with criticism or shame or abuse or control. And that leads them to not be able to feel compassion for themselves. They they can show it at somewhat of a surface level, in my experience, or a conditional level for other people. But I really believe that authentic compassion for other people stems from being able to be authentically compassionate for yourself. And I think that we live in a world, just speaking from a financial standpoint, that very much profits off people feeling badly about themselves so that they will buy products. Like I could talk about this for days. And I think that while it is going to make money, it always has, it always will. There's always going to be enough of a market of people that believe that they are not enough. So they're going to continue to support this product, this diet program, this expensive car, this exp whatever it is. Like they're going to need that external sign that they are finally worthy. And I think that we can break through that at least somewhat and allow people to see you already are enough. You're not a bad person because you've done bad things or because bad things have happened to you and living the rest of your life, punishing yourself for things that have happened or that you've done is not going to benefit anyone. You're living like you're dead. Mm -hmm. The last part of your content I want to uh, talk about is I love your videos where you're eating. I love it because- <laughs> Seriously, you can tell how much you enjoy it. And when you're stacking just the perfect bite, like that's when I messaged you and I was like, I want to have a meal with you just to watch you eat <laughs> and just to build the same, like, okay, what are we building now for our bites? Like you, those are fabulous. You want to, is there anything you can add to those at all? I just love them. So I, I love food. I, I actually, I'm, I'm going to do uh, some more food content in the near future. I love cooking food. I love eating food. I, like I said, I went through treatment for an eating disorder. So at one point food was a very fearful thing for me. Um, so I really have learned with self-acceptance and healing to celebrate, you know, like food and to celebrate my body and to really enjoy it. And like, I have said that if I ever find out that I have a limited amount of time left on this earth, I will spend most of that time eating. Like <laughs> Food is, food is joy. Food is wonderful. Like I just, I, the first time it's funny because the first time my husband and I were on a date and I offered him a bite of what I was eating and I built him a bite. He would never, his brain doesn't work that way. Like he's very like people, people, people. <laughs> so he would never think to like mix it all up and create, you know, a, a bite like that. So he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm building the perfect bite. And he was like, why? And I was like, why not? Like, I was like, this is the best kind of bite. 
And he also says that the first time he saw me eat wings, he says like he saw my jaw dislocate like an anaconda. Like he was like, huh. Like I think he was like slightly horrified because I eat them like Fred Flintstone. And it's just me being present. And I will ask for things in a certain way, like not in a rude or entitled way, but like I will ask the question. Like I'm not gonna, if you just hand me a menu, I can see something and I'm like, oh, I want that. But I wonder if they could also do this, like to an extent. So like, I'm not afraid to seek pleasure and I'm not afraid to enjoy pleasure. And as somebody who has had so many self-esteem issues around body image and sex and speaking up, I'm just not willing to starve myself in any sense anymore. So I'm just going to enjoy it. I, I also it. have messed up relationships with food. So I'm modeling that for them as well. Yes. But I definitely, one of these days want to eat a meal oh, with you. Yes. I'm down. <laughs> so do you have any final, if there was one thing you could leave the listeners with one takeaway, what would that be? And feel free to take a moment. Cause I just hit you with this without warning. There's one thing I would tell people that normal is an illusion and that fitting in is overrated and that belonging is really about accepting that nobody is normal and that it's just about finding the right kind of people that will jive and connect with your soul. I would say don't be afraid to look at yourself honestly. Like nobody... Nobody can look themselves naked in the mirror, like in any sense of the word and not have one thing at all that they don't feel maybe a little gun shy about. So I would say, don't be afraid to look at yourself and don't be afraid to connect with your humanity and with your imperfection, because I promise you, and I really do believe this deep at my core, that the things that you worry, people are going to judge you for, like the, the quirks, the things that you're like, oh my God, I can't say that they're going to think I'm such a freak. I promise you that those are the major selling points for the right people. And you are so much better off surrounding yourself with people that you don't have to pretend with. Pretending is not a necessary part of the human experience. And then I'm going to, I was going to close with that, but I want to ask you one more thing because that was so beautiful. Can you tell us about your six word epitaph? Uh, yes. So the six word memoir project um, that I did in um, grad school, I had tattooed on my arm here and it says branches not confined by roots design. And I, I, I think, no, my mom hadn't died yet. So I wrote this before my mom died. But for me, for th as a therapist myself and as somebody who has survived trauma, I really hope to send this message to people that all sorts of us have messed up root structures like all sorts of us have had crash landing beginnings in life or things that have happened in life that we didn't see coming or that we maybe didn't navigate well those things are real they are a part of you whether you want to accept that or not but you are not defined by them and it's so crazy to me that people want to deny especially when it comes to like generational trauma and family dysfunction people want to deny that their upbringing had anything to do with why they're having such a hard time which is so crazy to me but it's like you you can reference the roots 
and still be responsible to tending to the branches. Like it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like we're better off incorporating them. So yeah, for me, this means that you don't have to be defined by anything that's happened to you. You don't have to be like your family if you don't want to be. You can grow beyond anything and you'd be amazed at how strong you are. I love it. And I think you model that so well for us. Thank so you. I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I hope you'll come back whenever you I launch your podcast. Um, but I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, honey. I, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening this week. I appreciate each of you so much. And I would love to connect with you. So number one, we're doing a free giveaway. If you will review this podcast, screenshot your review and post it on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok and tag me in it, you will be entered to win a $50 Amazon gift card. This drawing is good from now until the end of April. So the first week in May, we'll be having the drawing for the $50 Amazon gift card. Again, you can screenshot your review and just post it to social media, tagging me in it. So I can be sure to enter you into the drawing. On Instagram, you can find me at the Random Yogi Podcast. On Facebook and TikTok, I'm at the Random Yogi. Also, please connect with me on social media because I do go live at least once a week to try to connect with listeners live. Again, thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please tell one friend about us. Thank you for joining us this week. Please support the Random Yogi Podcast at patreon.com to get bonus content and merchandise. Please join us again next week. And thank you for listening. Thank you.